Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 10, The Surplus. In this episode, the employees form factions... Dwight deceives Angela, and Michael faces his kryptonite. In the cold open, we see what will set up the main plot point for this episode. Oscar is in Michael's office. He is reviewing the yearly numbers with him, and he tells Michael that there is a surplus, and they have to spend it by the end of the day, or else it will be deducted from the next fiscal year's budget. So there's a couple assumptions here. We know it's year end, so I'm going to guess early December because at some point in the episode, Michael says they've gotten an early Christmas present. But what is really interesting to me is there's not many fiscal years that would end in the middle of December. I don't know why it is that they have to make the decision by the end of that day. I think it's just, that's just a, a phrase. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be December. It, it just is. We got an early Christmas present. Like, it's just a, a phrase. Sure. This cold open does include one of the running jokes of the show. And it's just that Michael is an idiot. And so when he is looking at the numbers, he is doing the thing where he's looking at them and acting like he understands what's going on. And he's just like, yep, these are numbers. Mm-hmm, that looks good there. And he just says to Oscar, okay, explain this to me like I'm eight years old. And so Oscar goes over just the very basics of the numbers, gets to the fact that they have a surplus that still isn't good enough for Michael, though. Yes, he clearly doesn't understand or know what the definition of surplus is. And so then he asks Oscar to explain it to him like he's five. And Oscar lays out a scenario where Michael's parents give him $10 for a lemonade stand. Everything only costs 9 and so he has to spend that dollar or else next summer when his parents give him the lemonade stand money, he'll only get $9. Michael seems to be understanding a little bit. The amount of the surplus is $4,300, and in this cold open... Oscar plants the seed right away of what he thinks the money should be spent on. And for Oscar, it's a new copier. Apparently the copier that they have seems pretty awful. Once we get into the body of the episode, it's clear that there are differing ideas as to how this surplus should be spent. When Michael makes the announcement to the office like, hey everybody, good news, we have the surplus, we have to spend it, Oscar's already made a really good case, we're going to get a copier, Pam immediately interjects and is like, uh, no. Remember how we need to get chairs, but we never got chairs? So if you think back, this was last season, Michael was supposed to get the new chair, but he got distracted by the chair model. So Pam has been sitting in a pretty uncomfortable chair, I guess, for like five years. Pam does seem to have people on her side, but this seems like a very selfish thing to throw her hat in the ring for. Because in that instance, 
only she was getting the new chair. Well, Wait, you mean when Michael was going to get the new chair? Correct. Right. Right. Well, Creed was getting a new chair as well, but it's <laughs> a different story. And so clearly, it's not that big of a need if when new chairs were going to be ordered, only Michael was going to get one. Here's how I feel about the chair thing. The chair thing is, yeah, this reminds me greatly of my own workplace experience in that chairs are coveted and sometimes locked up. There was a group, a working group, that somehow ordered or got new chairs. I don't know if someone bought them with their own money and they were donated, but they had a war room this working group did for their project and the doors were locked to the war room one because it was confidential information but two because people were trying to steal those chairs and here's how i feel about it if you have asked you know hr your boss whatever to get a new chair and it just doesn't come to fruition if you need it bad enough if your back is hurting you that is one of those items I think where you're like, I'm just going to go to Office Depot and I'm going to buy this chair and I'm going to clearly mark it with my name and in all places and say property of such and such. And that's just going to be your chair. I think that almost has to be your solution to an issue like that. Like if there's a supply problem, not a computer thing, something that's just reasonable. And yes, a good chair can be a bit expensive, but it is something you sit in every day. So I do see Pam's argument on that. However, as the episode goes on, we see how awful both items are. And my thought was they need to just budget for office supplies. Yeah. So two clear factions have formed in this debate. Team Chair and Team Copier. The names we hear on Team Chair is Pam, Stanley, and Meredith. And when naming the people who support her stance, Pam also says Jim. But Jim comes out and says, no, that's not the case. I actually want the new copier. So he joins Oscar here. And Jim says this because since he and Pam have started dating, he feels weird about asking her to make copies for him. So he just does it on his own. And so he has had one-on-one interaction with that copier and he hates it. Do you have any feelings on the fact that Jim does not ask Pam to make any copies for him now? I get it. I understand. It is a weird thing. Like, Yeah, that dynamic's a little awkward. If you've ever been to a restaurant where you end up that you know somebody who works there and you end up getting them as your server. Mm -hmm. That always makes me so awkward, like because they'll come up and, you know, between like between you ordering and the food being made and like you're just hanging out and like they'll come up and they'll talk to you and you're like visiting and stuff like that. And like, I always feel weird just being like, oh, by the way, can I get a refill on my soda? I need some extra napkins. I need you to do your job now, please. <laughs> right. right. There is that 
odd dynamic and that I could see that shifting when you start dating because there's a little bit of a, even though that's Pam's job, there's a little bit of a power shift at play there. Yeah. So that really, we'll talk about this more, but there's a really weird thing that happens when Jim just states a personal preference here um, between the relationship. We do see other people trying to butter Michael up about this decision, but it's not clear for Michael when he realizes that there are two options and people are feeling pretty passionate about one of those two options and that there's probably not enough money to get both. I kind of even wonder if 4300 is enough to get a new decent copier. But this is just something that Michael can't handle because he has to make the call. Right. We have seen this before where Michael is put in a position to make a decision. And in his mind, the end result is going to make someone upset. Yeah. Remember when he couldn't fire someone on Halloween in season two? This is his nightmare. Yeah. And so because of this, Michael has now retreated to his office and he says that he's just got to think it over and... So we know what's going to happen from here on in. Michael is going to take all day on this. And instead of weighing the pros and cons of new chairs to new copiers, he's going to try and figure out ways to get out of making this decision and have the decision made by someone other than him. Very much so. Everyone knows how Michael is, how he operates, and also how susceptible he is to flattery and charm because he just wants friends. Oscar is really the first one to kind of make the first shot on trying to butter Michael up by asking him to lunch. And Jim's like, oh my gosh, we're going to lunch. I want to come too. And we know that Michael loves getting lunch invitations. And that he loves to extend lunch invitations that people try to get out of. And Pam is sort of appalled, like, oh, God, that's how they're going to play this. Like, this is really on now. And we don't see, we don't see any part of the lunch. We see them going and coming back. And when they're coming back, Jim and Oscar are just laughing uproariously at something Michael said that probably wasn't really that funny, unfortunately. It's hard to tell what side that everyone else is on because throughout the day, people are doing things for Michael. Like, for example, Kevin buys Michael hot chocolate, but we don't know where Kevin is shaking out on this issue. Kelly runs to open the door for him, but we also don't know where she has landed either. Seeing how Oscar and Jim are going to play this game, Pam decides to play the biggest card in her deck, and that is sex appeal. Before Oscar, Jim, and Michael get back from lunch, she is seen putting on lipstick and just kind of like mussing up her hair. Mm -hmm. And she is ready to flatter Michael right when he comes in the door. But he is too busy and distracted by the fun he is having with Jim and Oscar that he doesn't even notice her and Pam kind of sees that this is things may be a little more dire than she thought 
So she immediately goes into Michael's office and just starts laying on the charm. Compliments his tie, asks if it's new. And when Michael says, no, it's not, and that he got it from TJ Maxx for $4, she is just so impressed by that. And then Michael is just really eating it up from there. And he's just like, well, if you think that's a great deal, look at these pants. They were $9. He says they're boys' pants. Yeah. And Pam is just playing into this as much as Michael is giving it. She is really like hooting and holler with him and complimenting him and everything like that. At one point she claps for him. It's just, she's running out of options a little bit. It's weird. In the middle of this debate, we get a dynamic between Jim and Pam. Right when Jim kind of made his preference known that, nope, I want a new copier. People in the office kind of take notice. Both Creed and Meredith compliment him on taking a stand in the relationship, essentially. And so we see the two of them kind of playfully going back and forth at each other, trying to get the other person to switch sides. Although I think Pam's is a little less playful. There's a lot of concerns I have with this dynamic, but also with the fact that people cheered Jim and said, wow, look at your balls, man. You stood up to her. Where it's like, I don't know. That's just sort of that assumption that once you're into a relationship as a male with a female, you're just stuck and pinned down and you're just a sheep that follows along with any sort of idea and you have no mind of your own happy wife happy life essentially yeah it's just a weird dynamic but pam also is playing into this she there's no possible thought that jim could have his own ideas about how to spend this surplus And that he wouldn't also want a new chair. She just assumed because she said something, he's going to be supportive of that. And maybe to a point, he's like, yeah, a new chair would be a good idea. But even better is going to be a copier. Right. We see an interaction between Pam and Jim in the kitchen area. And Pam just says, I think you should change your mind. And eventually, like like tries to threaten slash blackmail Jim. Yeah. Not blackmail, but like... Definitely threaten. Yeah, to change his mind. And the funny thing here is that I don't think Pam has a bullet in her gun. I don't think there's anything there that she could... Like she is essentially implying that if Jim doesn't change his mind, there will be consequences. Right. And it's like, okay... What consequences? I mean, she's just going to be mad at him. Yeah. For like 24 hours, maybe. Until Jim rightly points out, are you really mad at me because I wanted something different than you? Right. And then Pam looks like an idiot because, well, in this situation, she is an idiot. Yeah. Even the way she threatens him is just. It's sort of making the assumption, yeah, that she holds all the cards in the relationship. And it's just one of those, it's a tough dynamic 
for any relationship, like obviously you want to be in agreement on large things, but you can have different opinions. So for example, Curtis enjoys watching wrestling. Sometimes I sit there and watch with him. Sometimes I go upstairs and do something different. The way that it seems as Pam is operating here is that only she can choose and control what they would watch on the television and then Jim would just need to go along with that. There wouldn't be any sort of compromise to the relationship. Now it gets harder when there's a decision that comes down to you can only make one choice sort of thing and if you're not in agreement on that someone's going to have to Bend. I mean, I'm just trying, mostly that's, it might come down to buying things or where you're going to live or just major life choices like that. And that's where you have to hope you have similar values or similar long-term goals. You just can't have one person domineering the whole thing because eventually Jim would wake up, I don't know, in 20 years and be like, what is my life, Right. And just to talk about the gender dynamics a little bit more, it's a weird like role reversal thing that happened from, let's just think 1950s, like leave it to Beaver. The man makes all the big decisions. The wife kind of just goes along with it, keeps the home going, whatever. But in the 90s, there was this weird shift, if you think of like King of Queens, to where men are just bumbling idiots that just happen to live there and have very few actual interests or opinions or anything of themselves and the women have to do everything and make it all work we just we didn't come to like an equilibrium we just shifted the scale in another way as far as tv troping yeah i would think though that that still part of that still existed previous like in the 50s and 60s like you said because just something that comes to mind immediately in catch me if you can Mm -hmm. there's a scene where tom hanks is holding a meeting for just some of the other fbi agents and they're talking about uh how checks work and how check fraud works and things like that and one of the agents says uh, I, I don't know. You'll have to talk to my wife about that. She's the one that handles the checkbook. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think there was still a sense of if a woman says, oh, by the way, we need a new vacuum cleaner. We need a new microwave. We mm-hmm. need a new whatever. The husband's just going to go, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. Sure. Right. There's always been this level of, at some point in a heterosexual relationship that, yeah, the man just kind of goes along with things to sometimes a detriment. And Curtis and I have this conversation often, and I know we're off on a tangent here. I just think this is just such a fascinating dynamic to the Jim and Pam, but also the greater office relationship here. We often have the conversation about like, what is emotional labor? And what does that mean to have to be the person that's the backstop? And I think that's where societally and just kind of the examples we're throwing out pop culture wise, 
for men just be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Well, there's no effort being expended by the, the guy to be like, okay, well, this is what I want in a vacuum cleaner. This is how much they cost. Let's do some comparison shopping sort of thing. Like just one day they're going to come home and there's going to be a new vacuum cleaner. And so, yes, like I said, Curtis and I often have that discussion because a lot of times just the way our society is set up, but also kind of expectations that have been placed upon the genders from the time you're born and as you're growing up is that if you are if you are heterosexual and you end up in a heterosexual relationship men are just so passive and easygoing and no big deal but somehow that work has to get done somehow you have to schedule a goddamn appointment and Things have to happen, and it doesn't just magically happen. There's blood, sweat, and tears that go into running a household. And this is, I'm not taking anger out on Curtis. It's just a societal thing sometimes where it's like, yeah, there aren't magic elves or, you know, Cinderella mice doing things for you. That stuff has to get done by somebody. Off my soapbox. Back to Pam's threat, <laughs> though. The, the fact that she has no weight behind her threat is shown even more later on in the episode when a decision has finally been made and we'll kind of fill in how we get there here in a bit but a decision is made that chairs are going to be purchased and so at the the end of the episode Jim and Pam are having just a, a chat and Pam is kind of gloating in her win and Jim is like, yep, good job. Now, I'm going to need three copies of all these stapled and collated. And so Jim's threat, if you will, has actual consequences for Pam. Whereas previously, Pam probably wasn't going to do anything about Jim's decisions. As we said... Michael is going to do whatever he can to get out of making this decision for everyone. And so he starts imparting outside help. First, he asks the most qualified person he can think of, Hank the security guard. Hank comes up and, oddly enough, is not immediately dismissive of everything. It's kind of funny that he isn't. And so he asks to see the copier. He kind of Messes around with it a little bit, opens up some of the the doors, things, you know, looks at the mechanics of it. Then he asks to sit in one of the chairs and immediately states, hmm, not much lumbar support. I wouldn't want to sit in one of these all day. And so then he starts weighing the pros and cons of both sides. And Michael's just like, yep, good, great. So what's the decision? He says to everybody that whatever Hank says, it goes. And kind of surprised that there's not more resistance to that. Right. And Michael calls Hank a neutral third party in the whole thing. He doesn't really have a dog in the fight. Unfortunately, this doesn't work out for Michael as he was hoping because Hank's taking too much time to make the decision and wants to really look at everything more. And Michael just tells him to get out. Michael next turns to David Wallace for advice. And this doesn't make sense from the very beginning, because if you remember the scenario that Oscar played out in the beginning with the lemonade stand, 
And Oscar essentially said, you don't tell your parents that you, this only cost $9 because then next year they'll give you $9. Right. Michael is essentially telling his parents right now that the lemonade stand only cost $9. He is saying to his boss, hey, we got this big surplus and everybody wants different things. What should I do? What sh- how should I spend this? David is somewhat incredulous that Michael is asking him to weigh in on a minor budget matter. That's just not in David's purview. He's at a higher level and sort of has bigger fish to fry than to weigh in on what the Scranton branch should do with their surplus. However, he has an intriguing offer for Michael in regards to the surplus and says, well, you could just do what other branch managers do and return the money and you get a 15% bonus out of that money. Which one is sort of an odd number, 15%. But I guess it is sort of enough of an incentive of a couple thousand dollars for the branch manager. Also, it's pretty unbelievable that there is such a separation of corporate and the individual branches that somebody in corporate doesn't know that the Scranton branch has a $4,300 surplus right now. Yeah. And that Michael doesn't know the policy regarding surpluses, although that's a little bit easier to believe. Right. For Michael, this solves the problem. He can disappoint everyone in one go and pocket a decent amount of money And, as he says, be a king at Burlington Coat Factory. He's quite interested in getting a new coat or whatever Burlington Coat Factory has to offer. So he decides to go out and make the announcement, you know, I don't think we need anything. The copier's fine. The chairs are fine. Very comfortable. I could sit in here all day. And as he's sitting in the chair, it just keeps going down more slowly just to sort of illustrate how awful the thing is and Pam was making a copy in that copier earlier and it just it seems like it's on its last leg so something should be purchased here but Michael's willing to do the surplus Oscar knew the option of returning the money the whole time and how that would trigger a bonus for Michael however he did not make that known to Michael in his presentation So when Michael is talking about buying nothing and how they're so privileged and they should feel lucky just to have chairs and a copier at all, Oscar suspects that Michael is aware of how he could get $645 out of the whole deal. As it is getting towards the end of the day, the two factions meet in Michael's office and say, hey, you got to figure something out here. Please don't take the bonus. Get something for us. And so Michael's like, you know what? You guys figure it out. I'm I'm staying out of this. You guys figure it out. You guys figure out what you want most and let me know what you decide. Michael has seen how entrenched both sides are on their positions that he's betting on them coming to a stalemate won't make a decision by the end of the day 
and he'll get this bonus by default. Unfortunately, though, everyone in the room is smarter than him, and they come to a decision rather quickly, and they decide on chairs. Oscar says he would rather have new chairs than nothing at all, so it seems as though he has submitted here, and the office will get new chairs. Unfortunately for Michael, he really put the cart before the horse and decided to head out to Burlington Coat Factory before he had money in hand and purchased a fur coat. He must have worn the coat out of Burlington Coat Factory because there was someone from a PETA-type organization waiting and threw fake blood on his new fur coat. So Michael is out his bonus money didn't happen there he thought he had in hand and spent a lot on a fur coat and now the fur coat is likely ruined absent in just about all of this is dwight angela and andy they are seemingly spending the entire day going through the minutiae of andy and angela's wedding at Shroot farms they're getting things figured out like the bathroom setup and things of that nature. They are taking a trip to Shroot Farms to see the setup of all the venues and just kind of get a feel of how the day is going to go. They go into the barn where the reception seemingly is going to be and it smells of hay and manure and Dwight says that the manure is covering up the smell of the slaughterhouse. Angela asks if Dwight can skip slaughtering the animals that day, and Dwight says, well, how are you going to eat that day then? This has kind of been a theme of everything happening before this, in that all the sides seem to be coming to a head at something and just can't quite get the things figured out. And Andy is determined to get this settled because, as he said, he has lost several deposits on several different locations, and it is he is going to make sure this works at Shroot Farms. So Andy says, if we pay you extra, can you slaughter the animals the day before? That's sort of Andy's way of dealing with anything is to sort of throw money at it, which typically honestly works. A lot of you know businesses or a venue sort of thing like that it's like can we give you 50 bucks and you make this a little bit easier on us it doesn't make much sense here though because the request he is making is can you do this before you were normally going to do it it's not gonna it's it's no change in resources for Dwight in this situation and so there's really no reason that Andy should come out with immediately hey here's some money do this thing for us like this isn't shipping of a package where you're like um i want it tomorrow i'm gonna have to pay for that right this is if he had negotiated a little bit or just said hey can you make sure there's not a slaughterhouse smell for any sort of guests right dwight has sort of changed his tune from the last conversation that he had with Andy and Angela about how the wedding's going to go at Shroot Farms. He's actually making it much more difficult for them than he portrayed it to be. 
the instructions that he's providing for guests are very difficult to follow. It's it's telling them to go 150 paces from a red mailbox until they hear the beehive instead of just giving actual concrete directions. Angela would also like a butter sculpture of a cat and Dwight just cannot fathom that because cats don't make milk and it has to be a animal if they want a butter sculpture it has to be of an animal that produces milk so I believe the options were a cow a goat or a sheep in the end he's had the barn assembled to where the ceremony would be to look quite beautiful to give them a sense of what it would be like and he also has had a German Mennonite minister come to really set the scene he asked Andy to play Angela's father and says that he, being Dwight, will play the role of Andy so Andy can really see what he's looking at. So Dwight sets up this mock ceremony, and since the minister only speaks German, Dwight is doing a translation of what's going on. And he is definitely leaving some things out because he's just like saying that the minister, oh, here he's just saying the the pleasantries, the who's here, and blah, 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 blah. And he eventually gets to the exchanging of the rings. And Dwight's like, oh, I have a, I just have a twine ring here as a placeholder. And as the priest is continuing through the ceremony, Dwight says, and this is the part where you, Andy, will say, I do. And Dwight says, I do. And he then turns to Angela and says, and this is the part where you, Angela, will say, and he allows her to say, I do. And so everything wraps up and is done. And after this mock ceremony, Angela and Dwight are talking to each other. And Angela says that going through all of that, seeing herself up there with Dwight made her reconsider her choice of Andy over Dwight. And she says that she made the wrong decision. Dwight tells her that he definitely knows and he's taken matters into his own hands and says that they are actually legally married because the Mennonite minister was performing a marriage ceremony. They both said, I do. And Dwight had Andy sign their marriage certificate as the witness, pretending it was a receipt to be signed for Shroot Farms. Angela immediately changes her tune because she does not like being tricked or coerced or not being in on what's happening and is furious with Dwight and storms off. Andy is quite oblivious to this whole thing, just really having zero clue about any interaction between Angela and Dwight. Back in the office, Angela is still extremely upset, and she kisses Andy right after he's taken a bite of a tuna sandwich, by the way, before he's actually swallowed it, pretty passionately, to sort of send a message to Dwight and then tells Andy after the kiss that she has a legal matter to attend to. I mean, quite frankly, 
she can probably easily get this marriage annulled <laughs> as to not consenting at all. But she would have had to sign the marriage certificate in the first place for it to even be legal. And so that really wraps up anything of meaning in this episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. No fun facts. <laughs> Curtis, who gets fired? Something I do want to point out, though, is the concept of time seems to be suspended in this episode. We see Angela, Andy, and Dwight go through the planning process as well as head out to Shroot Farms, look at all the venues, talk about everything, go through this ceremony, and return to the office all in the span of a workday. Right. And Michael, at some point, leaves, goes to Burlington Coat Factory, buys a coat, has fake blood thrown on him, and then returns to the office also in the span of a workday. In terms of firings... We lose Pam in this episode in a reversal of what we normally see. Right. Usually, we see Michael getting fired for sexually harassing Pam. In this episode, Pam gets fired for sexually harassing Michael. In the scene where Michael is returning from the break area and Kevin gives him some hot chocolate, Kelly opens the annex door for him. Stanley opens the office door for him, and then Jim gives Michael a high five as he heads into his office. Pam yells at Michael, there's that ass. <laughs> so we lose Pam for that. Right. It, it is her second firing of the season. It's her sixth overall. Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this show? My Dundee Award is the One Tracked Mind Award, and that goes to Andy. As he said in an interstitial, he has looked at 12 venues, he has lost eight deposits, and he has seen Angela naked zero times. And that's why he's going to make it work at Shroot Farms no matter what. We also are under the impression that the wedding is coming up somewhat soon, and he's already given out save the date. So at least there's a date picked out, if not a hard location. But because he is so focused on that, he's really missing some tension and just that the fact that there's more to the story between Dwight and Angela than he really even knows. What is your Dundee Award? My Dundee Award is the spot of the show, and that goes to Michael in Pam's chair. In wrestling parlance, a spot is a point in a match when something big happens. Usually there's some buildup to it, and then there is this culmination of a big move happening. So oh, okay. like somebody jumping off the top turnbuckle into a crowd of people. That's called a spot. I give this to... Michael and Pam's chair for when what Antoinette alluded to earlier, when Michael is trying to dissuade people from needing everything, he sits in Pam's chair and is explaining to everybody why this is a great chair and why they should be grateful to have chairs. And as Antoinette said, during all this, he is slowly lowering in the chair because it is such a bad chair that it can't hold a consistent height. It is a, it is a very subtle, very well executed joke yes. by 
the whole cast here. Agree. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is really nobody in the sense that nobody, yes, they're getting chairs. So maybe it's Meredith and Stanley who won because Pam's getting fired for her tactics in getting the chair. But they really seem to need the copier. Michael couldn't come out on top here and kind of telegraph to his boss how he can't do his own job. So I guess I just talked myself into Stanley and Meredith. Yeah, you make a point here that they really need a copier. Presumably... If the thought process is they need to spend this money so that it is not taken away from them in the next year, logic says they will probably have roughly the same amount of money left over in next year's budget. Mm -hmm. So that should be a card played by somebody. It's just like, all right, if we get this copier now next year we can get the chairs with mm-hmm. the same money because as you said the copier seems to be on its last legs like that thing could give out at any point and so if they at this year they get the chairs and then in three months the copier goes out well they're kind of sol yeah especially if it like you said they could get the chairs pretty soon especially if supposedly the fiscal year is going to be restarting they could get the copier now and in a month buy chairs like this doesn't have to be a never going to happen sort of thing yeah who's your employee of the month i chose oscar because he a found the surplus and b seemingly was the bigger person in the argument he made the concession and said that he would rather have new chairs than nothing at all so that does it for this week's episode please follow us on twitter at downsizing pod to get all the latest updates and be sure to keep listening to us on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts wherever you are listening to us please rate subscribe like and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year.